Well, welcome to this week's episode of For What It's Worth, called Between the Sheets. I'm your host, Blake Melnick. Our podcast, For What It's Worth, and the space in between is now one year old. We launched the podcast on June 8th, 2020 with our trailer, which described our concept for the show. The pandemic became the backdrop for exploring ideas for a changing world. So in this episode, we want to celebrate our birthday with our listeners and document our journey over the past year, share some of the lessons learned, and help others who may want to try their hand at podcasting. So to begin, what I'd like to do is go around the table and ask the question, what appealed to you most about the idea of starting a podcast? So over to you, Allison. Thank you, Blake. It's a really great question. I think when the pandemic first started, we were completely shaken out of our norms. And I just really love the idea of this specific podcast because it was addressing everything and anything that's current. And it just really gave some context, at least for me, for the pandemic and just trying to navigate through these new and changing times. And it proved to be such an incredible learning experience. For me, that was really the motivation was to have something that was a a positive distraction during these times. It was quite on point to do this specific podcast. Cam, what about you? Well, you and I grew up together, basically. have been friends since high school. And I always felt our conversations on topics of the day, things that were going on in our lives, to be very interesting. And usually when we got together with a group of friends, it, it was that case. So to me, it was like sharing that, I don't want to say with the world, but sharing that with a broader audience is great. And I knew that there was a lot going on out there. And this was a way of a small group of people in Canada reaching the world. For sure. And Rowan, what about you? Building off of both what Cam and Allison have mentioned, I think a big underrated part of this pandemic is the lack of being able to talk to people and the lack of social interaction. Mm -hmm. And there's been so much going on in the world, whether it's politically, environmentally, socially, that we all have a lot to say. And I know a lot of people have turned to social media because we can't go into the local coffee shop and have a conversation with other people at this time. So I think the podcast was a way of sharing those thoughts and viewpoints and having those conversations with the world, but doing so in a constructive manner rather than just going onto social media and and throwing up something that only your friends and family will see. It was a way to both educate and learn, which I thought was a really interesting thing to do, especially during a time where so much was happening and so much needed to be said. I thought this was a really good way to say that. I I have to give credit to my wife. You all know I have a degenerative eye disease. So sitting down in front of a computer and typing is very, very difficult for me. It's exhausting. So she said, why don't you start a podcast? That's a way for you to share some of the lessons learned and some of your ideas in a way that's a little easier on your eyes. In my field of knowledge management, I recognize podcasting as a potentially interesting knowledge transfer mechanism, a way to get ideas out to the world in a different form. And then, of course, this pandemic, as Ronan and everybody has said, this pandemic kind of brought everything to a grinding halt, forced people to slow down. You know, we're all on this treadmill of continually moving forward without really thinking about what we're doing and whether we want to continue doing it. So it seemed to me that the podcast was a really interesting way to explore ideas around that. Also, like growing up, I'm sure your parents were the same. My folks, they always had the radio on while we're at home. While you're having breakfast, CFRB was on in the background. When you came home, same thing. And then during dinner, be dinner music. I think our generation, the baby boomer generation, grew tired of that. 
wanted something a little bit more interesting. So putting on a podcast is the new form of radio. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk about that as we move through this episode, but one of the things that I think we all discovered was that you're right, our generation, certainly the baby boom generation, grew up on radio, and yet podcasting seemed to bypass our generation. We did note throughout the course of doing this podcast how difficult it was for people to figure out how to access podcasts and to understand what a podcast was, because of course, we saw them emerging But I don't think many people in our generation actually started listening to them until quite recently. So that was certainly a challenge that we faced is trying to get people to understand literally how to access the podcast. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many times both you and I had people ask us, yeah, I'd love to listen to it. How do I hear it? I had somebody very recently say the same thing to me when he heard that we were doing a podcast. He said, boy, I've heard about podcasts. I wouldn't even know how to find one. It certainly was a bit surprising because, as you said, we are all very comfortable with the medium of radio. Yeah. Podcasts are everywhere. They're on Spotify. They're on Google. They're on Apple. So to me, for somebody to say, how do I access podcasts? People access their content in different ways. And again, that was a learning experience for me. I had people write to me and say, I visited the blog, but I can't find the podcast. And I thought, oh, I... Figured you'd just go to the podcast listening channel, listen to the podcast, link to the blog when you wanted to read the articles. So that was learning for me where I realized, no, people access content in different ways. So I had to go back and make sure that there were links to all the podcasts within all the blog uh, entries. True. Now, let me ask you and, and Allison and Rowan as well. Before this, how familiar were you guys with podcasts? I knew they existed but I'd actually hate to say I I never really listened to one until we started doing it. I'm actually in the same boat, Cam. I had maybe listened to a few podcasts, mostly when driving on longer trips and somebody suggested, oh, let's put on a podcast. So I was very mildly familiar and I actually love the format. Like I really did enjoy it when I listened to them. I just didn't gravitate towards it for some reason. So this has opened up a whole new world, really. Mm -hmm. What about you, Ron? I think it's interesting, the dynamics of podcasts, because a lot of podcasts now Nowadays are people, usually influencers, or at least in the younger generations, who make content on platforms like YouTube that require a lot of heavy production because they're both video and audio experiences. And so a lot of the time, those people who don't want to necessarily put as much into the video aspect will switch to podcasts. So that for a lot of young people is their introduction, is people that they watch, whether it's actors or again, influencers will then switch to a podcast medium. And I never really found those to be all that entertaining. Personally, I found the podcasts that started as podcasts always had a a stronger base. I know my sister, more so than I did, I listened to maybe a season of this podcast, but there's a podcast out there called Welcome to Night Vale. And it's essentially like a scripted story experience, but as a podcast, it's like a, a mock radio show. And I thought that was really interesting. And I remember she went to a meetup in 2015 for this podcast. But I really do enjoy the medium because I think you go on a bus or a subway nowadays, everyone's wearing their headphones or looking at their phone, whether it's music or reading something on their phone. So I think podcasts add another layer. If you don't want to just be listening to music or you don't want to sit there and read an article, you can kind of do both. So I think they're cool. I think they're an emerging medium. I didn't listen to podcasts either. I think I might have listened to one when podcasts first came out on iTunes and listened to one and thought, oh, this is okay, and then kind of left it behind. Because we also had recorded books. I remember taking long trips and and having a tape and putting it in the car and listening to a novel. 
and uh, audiobooks. Audio I stopped doing that because they would put me to sleep on the road. So I, I thought, all right, these aren't a good idea for me. <laughs> I, I, I remember the first time I drove out west, actually, I listened to a, an audio tape of a book and within half an hour I was starting to doze off so I stopped doing that and it's interesting when we started and I'm probably now is a good time to give a, a shout out to the folks at Buzzsprout because they really helped us a lot and this is a company very enthusiastic podcasters who actually teach you about podcasting through the art of podcasting itself so walking the walk and talking the talk and they were really helpful and so that's how we began was linking up with them using their hosting service to get our podcast launched they did a great job i'd highly recommend them for anybody wanting to start a podcast great bunch of people very quick response time but on that note when we started i really didn't want to read a lot about how to start a podcast and i was thinking back to the famous chemist john polonia when he won the nobel prize and somebody asked him how were you able to come up with these incredible groundbreaking theories and he said if i'd spent all my time adopting the theories of others and reading the theories of others i never would have come up with my own so with that in mind when we started the podcast i was determined not to go and read about how to start a podcast, how it should be structured, because I thought that would be limiting. We had some ideas that we wanted to explore, and we were in this unique period in history with the pandemic, and I just wanted to get the ideas out there and focus on the ideas and less on the structure. The structural piece came over time. Most people will say, if you're going to start a podcast, you should pick a niche and stick to that niche. And I don't necessarily agree that's the right approach initially, maybe over time. But at the beginning, when you don't really know anything about podcasting, you need to go broad to determine what it is people are interested in and what you're interested in as well before you start to narrow down. So that's the approach we took for sure. Well, we covered so much ground. So many different guests. Absolutely. What amazed me was when we were reaching out to people, everybody said yes. I think out of all yeah. the people I spoke to about potentially coming on the show, there was only one person that didn't respond. And everybody else said yes. So obviously we'd hit a time period where people had ideas they wanted to talk about and they were very gracious. And I thought that was going to be the hardest part about starting a podcast was finding guests. And it actually turned out to be the easiest part. I think like that's one of the reasons that the timing of this podcast when it was started is so important because and much to Rowan's point earlier about being so disconnected from people, this was such a great way to connect. And so people had the time, had the motivation and had the opportunity to engage, which was really quite something. Mm -hmm, for sure. And the thing I'm trying to still understand, I gather just anecdotally, is that most people that listen to our show seem to listen either when they're walking or running or when they're in the car. Is that your experience as well? I think definitely. And I think maybe that's why there has been an increase in the popularity of podcasts is because really these days, what most people are doing, they're outside exercising more, going for long walks. I think podcasts as a medium have become more accessible or fit better into people's current life and circumstance. I wonder whether that will change with the home services like Alexa, whether people will start listening to them more as they did in the old days with radio where the family would gather after dinner and turn on the radio, whether that will be the same case with podcasts. 
I have a question for you, Blake. You were talking about guests coming on and how everyone was quite excited to be on this podcast. Did you find, because most of the guests we've had have had other mediums of communication with the outside world, whether it's been novelists or musicians, what was the general response to having podcasting as their communication platform? Like, was the excitement there? Did you find that you were able to get a, a better understanding of your guests? Or or what did podcasting allow you to do with these guests that maybe they couldn't do through their own avenues of communication? We wanted to give a voice to our guests and their ideas. So less focus on the podcast or on us and more focus on the guests. The approach with them was always, what is it that you really want to talk about? When we were dealing with with authors like A.L. Barron or we were dealing with musicians, like obviously have things that they want to promote. So this was a great opportunity to promote what they were doing in terms of A.L. and her release of her new book, in terms of Blair and the release of his new record. So those guys saw this as a great opportunity to promote what they were doing. But I think others, for example, Hugh Siegel, was very passionate about basic income, working on it for a long time. Well, here's somebody that probably wasn't overly familiar with the podcast medium, probably doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts. I think he'd been on a number of podcasts, but again, it's the idea of getting your voice out there in a way that people can consider more deeply. So podcasting is neat in the auditory sense, because I think people can actually reflect on what's being said. And of course, unlike the radio of, of yesteryear, they can rewind and re-listen to elements of that podcast. Or if they hear an idea that they really like, they can go back to that idea and play it for somebody else. And that creates real-time discussion. I guess for the guests, they see this as another medium to promote what they're doing, their artwork or their ideas to a broader audience. But it also gives them free reign to talk about the things in the way they wish to talk about them. I, I think... That's a really interesting part because unlike an interview that you would, you know, just typically have, I find that the less structured nature of podcasts, like when you and Cam get going, I find you get to learn so much more about people this way than you would in a more structured setting. And I think that's a really neat opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, Rowan, because in some cases we were talking to people who really weren't public speakers. They're not professional speakers. One of the great interviews we had was with Tom Scanlon, a collector of uh, NHL hockey sticks for every player that ever scored 500 goals in the NHL. He's just a naturally chatty guy, but he's not a talk show host. So it was great to speak with him, to have someone like him on. But he was just a natural, he just flowed naturally, right? It was really good. And of course, Tom has now uh, started his own podcast. That's right. Tom's got his own podcast on the different points of uh, Toronto, different yeah. historic points. And there are approximately 2 million podcasts running right now. But from the stats that we read, and we've discussed this, very few of them, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30%, go beyond seven episodes. I think that's a launch point uh, to our next topic of discussion, which is around the logistics of podcasting. I'm pretty proud that we've managed to make it through 46 episodes so far and been at it for a year. So we've certainly passed that valley of despair. But it requires a lot of work to do this on a regular basis. And so I think when a lot of people start podcasting, they think, 
naturally as we did. Well, this is easy. I like to talk. I'm a chatty person. I like people. I'll just uh, pull out my iPhone and start a podcast and Bob's your uncle, but that's not the case. (laughs) It's a little more complicated than that. One of the things that I thought it would be interesting to talk about was really what was the biggest technical learning curve that you had starting the podcast? Well, there's lots of technical things. During the pandemic, it was really difficult to get equipment. So having to learn about what type of equipment that you actually need that will work best for a podcast was the first challenge. And then, of course, getting it was the second one, because with everybody working from home and learning from home, it was very hard to get the technology that you needed to start the podcast. So, well, we all had laptops and we all had headphones. That was about it. But I would say the biggest challenge is on the editing side. It takes a lot of time to edit a podcast. Is there a resource you can share in terms of a specific book or something? How did you learn about that? Definitely the folks at Buzzsprout. I did look at all their recommendations. And the game changer, I think, for us was getting the mixing board, getting the Rodecaster Pro mixing board. That made all the difference in the world. It allows you to support multiple guests at one time, adjust microphone levels, and produce studio-quality sound. So that was the big game changer. Because, of course, the other big problem we've had is that pre-pandemic podcasts were done face-to-face and it's a lot easier doing a podcast when you can look your guest in the eye you have visual cues and things like that moving to a virtual platform like zoom or go to meeting or microsoft teams is very different and when you add the video component of course it tends to create degradation on the sound side and like i know you did do a pre-interview with every guest how much time was spent just dealing or focusing and discussing the technical aspect of recording the podcast? That's a great question because the other technical element is on the guest side. It took us a little while to realize that we had to give some guidelines to our guests in terms of what their tech setup needed to be. We had a lot of people that were just talking through their computer and that certainly came across in the quality of sound of some of the early podcasts. You needed to have people wearing headphones. Ideally, you needed people to have an external microphone to get the best quality of sound. And of course, they need to be stationary and not moving around. I had one guest that decided to go for a walk with his dog during the podcast. And of course, all I heard was birds and dogs and we lost the connection three or four times and had to pick it up again as soon as we got a connection. So that was really challenging. We realized very quickly that our guests needed to be stationary. They needed to have a good microphone, ideally an external microphone rather than a headphone microphone. They needed to be wearing head a headset and they needed to be still. That leads us back to the greatest challenge, the editing of the podcast. Editing, it's definitely a challenge. I think a lot of people assume that a lot can be done in post-production in regards to sound quality. Like Blake said, remaining stationary and wearing headphones. And even if you don't have an external mic, just headphones with the mic on the core does make a hell of a difference in sound quality. But it's a difficult thing to request of people to have all the technical expertise to record a podcast they're kind of there and they want to share their story so that's a roadblock that we worked through i think quite effectively i think if you listen to the first episode versus the ones that are coming out now there's definitely a quality difference there i had somebody pull me aside a week ago and say boy you certainly improved the sound quality of the podcast from the early ones and i said it was a learning process that leads us nicely into a discussion around editing and over to you Ron. i had to put in a lot of research 
to figure out the best way to edit podcasts. It does come down to how things are originally recorded. It's been an experience and it's definitely a lot more work than one might anticipate. There's a lot that goes into the beginning preparing for shows, but the editing on the back end, it does take a bit to get the hang of it especially with the different softwares. Descript was a, a great software that has been very helpful in editing the show. And you and I, it's taken us a while to, to figure out our own process of what you need from me in order to make it easier or more fluid for you on the editing side. There's some challenges getting the pieces of software to work well together. Yeah, and, and I would agree that also a part of it that comes into, I know we talked about earlier how podcasts are usually a more open flow medium, like just with open conversation, but there's definitely a certain degree of scripting. And I know um, Blake and Cam, you can both attest to this, that it can be very easy to get off topic very quickly, which then on the back end runs into a bit of an editing nightmare trying to piece something together that went a little off the rails. So there is, I think, a greater deal of prep and scripting, not in the sense like scripting words, but an outline and, and questions just to make it so that we are able to have a cohesive episode that then can be easier on the editing side, because it really does make a difference when it comes to trying to get the show up on time and trying to get the best quality and the most cohesive episode you can. Yeah. And, and it's a great point because it is a little bit of a tight rope. You want it to be fluid enough with your guests that the conversation is natural and they can say what they want to say. But at the same point in time, the more off topic it gets, the harder the editing process becomes. So it's really that tight rope of not making it too structured, but not throwing structure at the window. Because if you don't have some sort of structure, it makes it very challenging on the editing that actually leads me to a question. So I'm just curious, how much content do you think, if you had to generalize, do you remove from an episode? Is it 20%, 5%? That's a, a very good question. I think it definitely depends on how chatty our guests are. Blake, you can attest to this as well, because I know you have quite a heavy hand in the editing process, just making sure you get exactly what you want from that episode. But I would say probably... On a first pass of editing, when you're taking out content to make the episode a reasonable length, you probably take out about, I would say, 15%, 10 to 15%. But then going back in and trying to take out filler words, you can't always be super eloquent. So if people like stumbling over their words or editing blips, take out probably another 5% of that episode. So I'd say probably you take out around 15 to 20% of the episode through editing there is a lot that ends up on the cutting room floor so to speak but it doesn't get wasted and here's one of the cool things about podcasting all content can be repurposed in different ways there are some episodes as rowan points out that went on for a long time one i would say 50 percent <laughs> had to be extracted but again, not wasted material, a material that we will reuse in different contexts going forward. So you never throw anything away, I guess, is the point. And here's the creative part about podcasting, and the part that I actually quite like is creating the, the story. It's not just about editing out the ums and ahs and some stumble words. It's also about restructuring the flow of the podcast. So you don't necessarily 
produce what you record initially in that order. Sometimes it makes more sense to shift it around. Sometimes you have to use voiceovers to introduce a segment or to clarify something because guests will talk about something and they'll use terminology that people aren't familiar with. So you need to be able to define that for your listeners. So you're actually creating the story flow. And a lot of times stuff that we might have talked about towards the end of an episode, I might put at the beginning of an episode because it just fits the flow of the story. So that's another creative element about podcasting that I really like is that ability to create a fluid story from the content. And all the extra content, as I say, can be reused in different ways. But again, I prefer it when at least the guests are excited and, and want to talk. I'd rather let them go because we can always reuse this material in different ways. It is interesting. I never really thought about the creativity that goes into editing. And as you said, like moving this part to the beginning, because it makes more sense and adjusting the structure. So I think that's a really interesting sort of call out to anyone that's interested in doing a podcast that there is that creative element. It isn't just a formulaic experience. In fact, you can mix elements of different uh, podcast episodes together and create a new theme. So there is a real creative element. It's very similar in some respects to directing a play, especially if you're doing a play where there are no stage directions and there are many like that, where you're actually having to create the story out of the words and create the visual imaging. And you do the same in podcasting. We can combine those to tell different types of stories. And that is the creative element about podcasting. I think we want to talk about our guests, past guests on the show. Go around the table. What was your favorite episode? Who was your favorite guest and why? So let's start with you, Ron. That's a very difficult question because I really enjoyed a lot of them. I loved Ken's episode. I would love to have Ken back on the show, quite honestly, because he is just such an interesting guy who has a lot to say, really important things, as do most of our guests. I really enjoyed Darcy's episode, Little Bird. I thought I've never been like a huge comic book person. I've read the occasional one, but I never quite knew what was going on because I always picked up like number 24 in the series. <laughs> but uh, even without that, I thought it was a really interesting episode. I thought Darcy was a really eloquent and interesting speaker. I really enjoyed all of our Pass the Jam episodes. Um, a bit biased because I do know Oliver and love Oliver. So all of those episodes I was really into, again, for music. I really liked the Tree Trust episode. Uh, that one I was a little bit more involved with because it does coincide with what I'm studying. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. I thought all of our guests had something really interesting to say, and they were all passionate about what they were saying. And I think that really just makes the world a difference. I agree. Cam? There was quite a few that I really liked. I've already mentioned the Tom Scanlon and the Hugh Siegel, Ben Hunter. I enjoyed the tree trust as well. That was great. I like the one that we did about bikes. You had read a story in the New York Times saying that during the pandemic in major cities like New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, et cetera, it was almost impossible to buy a bike. And of course, you in Vancouver, me here in Toronto, we also knew that to be true. We have bikes, but we also knew that to get a new bike was good luck. So I, I really quite enjoyed that one. Allison? I think every guest brought something absolutely unique and every episode was so interesting in such a different way that I, I truly enjoyed all of them. I have to say that if I had to pick one, it would probably be the Hugh Siegel episode simply because that was for me one of the first times I'd ever reached out completely cold 
to to someone who I never met, didn't know, and was hoping that he would respond. And the fact that he was able to do the podcast and was so engaging, that was just very special for me. Right. Yeah, he was great. I'm, I'm of the same mind as the rest of you. They were all interesting. I learned a tremendous amount from all of them. Tom Carey's, I like the way he made innovation accessible to everyone, taking it away from the big corporations or the preserve of the big corporations and the big universities and brought it right down to the individual level, to the local level, to innovation that takes place within your community, whether that be your neighborhood watch program or how your parks are run and the programming that goes on there, things like that. I thought that was really cool. I really enjoyed Dyke Spicer's interview at the Digital Dark Age, and I've run out and and uncovered all my old uh, mediums so I could protect my data. Hugh's uh, basic income, it was a notion I was familiar with, but I hadn't really thought about it from the perspective that obviously Hugh has. And it really made sense to me. So I'm a convert. I do believe that we need some form of universal basic income. Our other guest that we had, Floyd Marinescu, his report on the economic benefits of universal basic income certainly added to the strength of the argument for me. Darcy, in terms of just a back and forth engagement, I loved that episode as well. He was a really easy guy to talk to. Of course, I was a big comic book fan as a kid, so it was like stepping back into my childhood. But I also loved the focus of the book, Little Bird. It was so prophetic given what was going on and particularly all the absurdity with Trump in the United States. I love my conversation with Ben It's always amazing to hear from somebody that's so passionate about what they do. And clearly music is something Ben was born to do. He loves it right to his core, and he's followed his passion throughout his life. And I think that's quite unusual and also quite remarkable. Tree Trust, great episode as well. Learned a lot about the importance of big trees. And of course, we're seeing a lot of that in the news now. A lot of concern around cutting down old growth forests because of their natural ability to fight climate changes through carbon sequestering. So that was interesting. Of course, all the music guys, this was a great opportunity to introduce the world to Oliver McQuaid. Ayelet Barron's interview, I love too. I had a chance to read her book. I think she was a very wise woman. There's something in that book for everybody. It certainly made me reflect on my own life, some of those structures that are confining, ones that I inherited from family, and and recognizing those influences or those structures and coming to the point where you're able to say those no longer work for me is really important to personal growth. Like all of you, I got something uh, from each one of our guests. One episode that we hadn't talked about, Praveen's episode, I thought was also really interesting because I know that like that builds on a lot of what you've you know, worked on throughout your whole life. And it works in tandem with Tom Carey's interview, which I hope one day we'll get to re-record with some better sound quality. But I think That was a really interesting avenue to explore, especially in our day and age. The way of looking forward, looking at knowledge-based economies. I thought each guest was so unique, and I spent hours with each episode editing them. So it did give me a chance to listen to everything in great detail. And I, I feel like I've learned a lot this year from each of the guests. We are fast approaching the end of this episode. But before we sign off, we thought it would be a good idea to give you a little glimpse into what you can expect from Season 3 on For What It's Worth and the Space In Between. We have two episodes remaining in Season 2, one for the space in between called The Kindness of Strangers, which recounts a recent adventure I had while driving from the coast to Kimberley, B.C. 
And then we conclude the season with an amazing interview with comedian extraordinaire Ron James. You won't want to miss this one. Put it in your calendar. It's going to be great. Following Ron's episode, we're going to take a bit of a break. We all need time to recharge our batteries. Summer is upon us. Pandemic restrictions are lessening. And we need to get outside and spend time with people and less time with technology. We have a lot of work to do to prepare for Season 3, but we will release a few episodes over the summer. They won't be according to our regular schedule, but we'll let you know when they're coming out through our group Facebook page called For What It's Worth. So if you haven't signed up for that, please do, and we'll let you know when these episodes drop. We have a lot of other amazing things in store for you in Season 3, and I do want to talk a little bit about those. We're in the process of developing a new website. The URL will be for whatitsworthpodcast.com, so now you'll be able to go to one place and find all the material you need related to the show. As part of that new website, we're also creating an online store that will allow us to offer you some unique gifts and to support our guests. For example, we'll provide you with access to some personalized signed copies of CDs and books from our guests. We'll also have some for what it's worth and the space in between merchandise available for purchase. We have an amazing designer in Rowan who is creating some great new logos for t-shirts, coffee mugs, and things like that. So I hope you check that out. Buy some cool Christmas gifts for your friends and family. As we discussed in this episode, when we started for what it's worth and the space in between, our intent was to be very broad and eclectic, to explore ideas across the board and to try to understand what our audience is most interested in hearing about. As things have developed and we have a year under our belt, we've recognized that there are certain themes and topics, for example, Pass the Jam, which we believe can stand alone as separate shows. So we're going to create some spin-offs from the main show body. One will be Pass the Jam, and we also have one in mind for innovation and knowledge management, and another for social enterprises. We'll be moving some of our shows to a subscription-based model. And we're working on some new series for the show. So we'll provide you with some updates about that before the start of Season 3. As a final word, I want to give a huge shout-out to you, our audience, and to our amazing collection of guests we've had on the show in Seasons 1 and 2. Without your support, we would not have been able to grow this show. We hope you'll stick with us because we really do believe there's something happening here for what it's worth. I was making a and I found